0: So this morning, we are continuing in a series called Rest for the Weary. And in this series, we're looking at some of the common challenges that we face as human beings that can make us weary and tired. And our hope that is that through this series, we will come to understand better how we can find rest in Jesus Christ in the midst of those challenges. So this morning, we're going to talk about fear, fear. It's a universal human experience. It's part of our human struggle, this side of heaven. And so, to a certain extent, it's, it's a normal thing. It's something we all experience, and yet it wasn't what we were created for. And so... Because it's kind of a challenging topic, I decided to sort of ease into it this morning by giving you a little pop quiz, okay? And I want to test uh, your your knowledge of the Greek language, uh, which forms the technical terms for all of these phobias or fears. So I want to put up on the screen the technical name and see if you recognize some of these very common fears. So the first one is arachnophobia. You've probably heard that one. Uh, but it's not every day you get to see one of these ugly guys on a screen this big. So, you know, there you go. All right, now this one might be a little bit more tough. Ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia. Anybody? ready? Closely related to spider snakes. Yes, the fear of snakes. And that's a nasty one. How about this one? Acrophobia. Maybe you recognize that prefix there. Acrophobia. Yeah, that's the fear of heights. Fear of heights. Anybody in fear of heights people in the room? I have a little bit for me. I think as I age, I start to not like it as much. How about trypanophobia? This one's big for me. I don't even like to look at the picture. Some of you may share this one with me. Yeah. No thanks. All right, glossophobia. Glossophobia. Recognize that prefix there? Glossophobia. The fear... Of public speaking. Yeah. Sorry. Can't relate to you on that one there. I don't know. It's just. And then the final one. Thanatophobia. Thanatophobia. It's the fear of death. Fear of death. Common deaths. You see, God created our bodies to respond to threats and stress with what we call fight or flight. Yeah. It's this. It happens in this little almond shaped part of your brain called the amygdala. And when your amygdala gets hijacked and you sense fear, uh, this part of your brain is responsible for emotions and survival instincts, which is an interesting combination. And uh, what happens is the amygdala sends adrenaline and energy coursing through your body, preparing you to respond to uh, some kind of fear or crisis. So... A couple of a number of years ago, I was on a farm of a, of a distant relatives, and uh, everybody was telling me my cousins. I don't know if they were second cousins, third cousins. I can't. I don't know how to untangle all that. But they were cousins, and uh, they were telling us how Grandpa would take everybody driving on. The gator, you guys know these gator, these utility vehicles, that's what pulls out on the on the field uh, when they have to haul somebody off in the middle of a football game, right? So a pretty big one that would seat like six people, and they would say how grandpa would just floor it and drive us around all the farm, it was so fun. So I thought, this sounds great. So I got behind the wheel, a couple of cousins in tow with me, and we're driving, and I am flooring it. Because they told me, like, that's what you do. And we're having a great time until suddenly made too much of a turn on just the wrong wet patch of mud. And we rolled that thing over. Now, fortunately, it had a top roll bar, so it didn't completely roll. But one of the cousins on the side that it turned, it actually landed on top of his arm. Uh, and I'd jump around, I don't even remember, moving in slow-mo, just remember lifting the gator off of him really quick, scooping him up on my arms, running him several hundred yards inside uh, so that we could get him down to the urgent care. And what happened was my body responded to that fear and that crisis. And so to a certain extent, that fear and the way God has programmed us, it can be helpful. That's That's part of how God wired us. But yet the fear we're talking about here is deeper, it's ongoing, because like all good things, fear can turn against us. And rather than fear just being this temporary thing that we experience, we can start to live in a state of constant stress, and we can start thinking about all the different things that we, that we could be afraid of, or we should be afraid of. We start thinking about all the challenges and all the scenarios and potential threats. And fear becomes a driving force in our lives. It starts to cause us to uh, not flourish in our relationships and not engage in activities that we once found life-giving. Fear can be crippling. It can take over our lives. It can prevent us from trusting anyone or anything. And so fear turns against us. And in this, we want to be careful here that that we don't shame those who are experiencing fear, which to a certain extent is all of us for different reasons and to different measures. The goal here is not to feel shame for the fear that we experience, but to ask the question, what do we do with this fear as we experience it? Where do we go with that energy in our lives? And so we want to be careful that we don't just throw out quick solutions, and just say, hey, you know, it's just faith over fear. And if you just had more faith, then you wouldn't you wouldn't struggle with this fear. Because we don't always know the reasons why a person fears. It could be because of tragedy. It could be because of trauma. And those things take a while to unpack. So it's not just this thing where we just sort of snap out of it, and then all of a sudden we we have faith in God. It's a process. But yet we want to look to God in the midst of this fear so that our lives are not driven by fear because we were not created for that. We were created to trust in God's care and God's help in our lives. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the series, with all of these tough, tough topics that we're talking about, part of your journey toward healing and wholeness may include medicine. It may include therapy or counseling. Or these resources that God has given us alongside the healing ministry of Christian community and spiritual disciplines, which we should not neglect. And so our our sort of framing idea this morning for fear is that ultimately we were created for trust. We were created to be in a dependent relationship on God. And living in a state of consistent fear keeps us from that place of trust. There are many places in Scripture that exhort us in this, exhort us to trust in God when we fear, but none of them states the situation and the solution quite so clearly as Psalm 56, verse 3, which says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Notice the language there, when I am afraid. Not if I will be afraid, but when I am afraid. We will all experience fear. Because there are genuinely worrisome, fearsome things that happen in this world that's not the way it's supposed to be. But what do we do with that? And ultimately, our solution, when we are afraid, is to place our trust in God. And that's something that we have to decide to do. It's something that has to be worked into our soul. And in fact, the best time to, to, to be prepared for these tragedies in our lives, which, which you can't prepare for the tragedy, but we need to have a solid foundation of trust before we go into those. You see, what's happened sometimes is people experience hard things, and then people come alongside them and try to give them counsel and fix their theology about God's sovereignty and trust, and it ends up being not helpful. You need that foundation beforehand. You need to have these truths and you need to have trust worked down into your soul over time through repetitions, through being in community with other Christians, through reinforcement in God's word and being in worship. We need to have it worked into our souls so that when that happens and we experience those things, what is deep within us is a deep and abiding trust, is a peace which doesn't even make sense, surpasses understanding. And that doesn't mean those things aren't hard and it doesn't mean we're not scarred from them or that it takes time to untangle those things. But that is what is deep within us, is a solid trust in God. So a couple of scriptures here that are, that are helpful, that encourage us. First is from Isaiah 41. It says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then just one example from the New Testament, 2 Timothy. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self control. Now, as we approach these topics like fear and anxiety and worry, I think tone is critical to understand the tone of God's word and to understand the tone of Jesus. Remember our starting verse at the beginning of this series? Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And he says, I am humble and gentle of heart. And so when Scripture tells us, do not be anxious about anything, do not fear, the tone is not, stop being anxious, stop being fear, what's wrong with you, you sinner? I think that's how we hear it sometimes. That's not the voice of Jesus. No, when Jesus says, do not fear, His tone is gentle and humble, and he is not scolding us. He's inviting us into something better. He's saying, you don't have to be anxious. I know that you do, that you are. He's saying, you don't have to fear, because there's something better. It's an invitation to us. So I want us to take these framing thoughts with us into our text this morning. So in this series, we're drawing from different narratives in the gospel, stories of people who faced Situations like us who encountered these perennial human problems. This morning we're looking at the story of Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4. This same experience is also recorded in Matthew and Luke. Now in Mark's gospel, this is the first in a series of events that give testimony to the authority of Jesus over demons, over nature, over sickness, even death. It's also the first of three boat scenes in the gospel of Mark. Each associated with a miracle, and it challenges the disciples to discern the identity of Jesus. Each one is pushing the disciples toward the conclusion that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And so as Mark organizes these stories for us, he's making a cumulative point. And his primary point is that Jesus is, in fact, God. That he is Lord. And if he is Lord, he's Lord over all. And if he's Lord over all, he's Lord over your life. And if he's Lord over your life, then he is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of trust. So the primary purpose of this story in Mark's gospel is to demonstrate the authority of Jesus and his power and that therefore he is worthy of our trust. So let's dive into the story. First, we see that Jesus models faith for us. Jesus has directed his the disciples. They're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the purpose of the trip is not explicitly stated. But I think, first of all, it's because Jesus is tired. He's tired. He's about to take a nap. And I don't think it's the primary point of this story, but Mark is clear to paint this picture of Jesus as both God and human. And we see his humanity in various things. He's hungry. He gets thirsty. He gets tired. He weeps. And so Jesus is tired. Second, though, I believe it's to demonstrate Jesus' unwavering trust in the Father. This image of being asleep in the middle of chaos is a powerful symbol that Jesus trusted in the Father fully. So many details throughout his life points to the fact that Jesus trusted the Father. And he's modeling that to us. He encountered tragedy. He encountered crises. And yet, here he is, trusting the Father, asleep in the middle of the storm. Now, there's a bit of irony here in the disciples getting upset at Jesus being asleep. Have you know, did you notice that? It, because if you're familiar with other parts of Jesus' story, we'll know that later on, in a very critical hour for Jesus, it's actually the disciples that are going to be the ones that fall asleep. But here, they're sort of mad at Jesus. They think he's fallen asleep at the wheel, uh, and they don't understand... What he is doing. Let's pay attention to the fact that Jesus led them into this event. He led them into the boat and into this storm. It's an example of how God in our everyday circumstances. Uses those to reveal who he is and who we are. And what we need. Or rather who we need. And it's in trials and tribulations and desperate moments of our lives. Often, not always, but often. That we grow in our faith. When we reach out, when we get to the bottom of the pit and we have nowhere left to go, we get at the bottom and we can only look up. It doesn't happen automatically. But if we have worked that faith and that trust into our soul, when we get in those moments, we will be reminded and we will be able to preach to our own soul to look up. Not look in, but look up. And so God uses these circumstances in our lives to cause us to trust in him. And so Jesus is affirming his identity as God by sleeping in the midst, or sorry, his trust in God by sleeping in the middle of the storm. He's identifying his uh, self as God through calming the seas by the command of his voice. So next we see that Jesus calms the storm. Verse 39, he says, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be Still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Wouldn't that be a cool moment? I mean, there's so many cool moments in the ministry of Jesus, but wouldn't it be cool to be there? I mean, that would just be mind-blowing, where there's a storm, and Jesus says, okay, enough, storm, you're done. And that's it. Just the sheer power. I mean, if you're the disciples, you're just, I mean, what do you do? I'd probably jump out of the boat in the water. Like, I don't know, you just would go crazy. Like, this is wild, Jesus calms the storm. He is Lord over the wind and the waves. Right? First, sorry, Colossians says that everything was created by Him and through Him and for Him. He is the Lord over everything, and He can stop a storm just by the power of His voice. And I think that we need to be reminded that He also has the same power in our lives. He can calm the storm in your life right now with the Word. He can. He has that power and we should pray and we should believe and we should have faith knowing that God is that powerful that he can calm the storms of our lives, whether they are literal storms or metaphorical storms. He can calm the storms. He really can. But here's the other thing. Sometimes he doesn't. That's the hard counterpart. He has the power, he has the authority to stop the storm right away. And sometimes he doesn't. And that's what happens in Scripture. And that's true of our experience as well. Let's think about this. Why why would Jesus not calm the storm? Now, I think whether he calms it or whether he doesn't, I think either way the result is that he wants to build ooh, Hello. He wants he wants to build our faith. That's the verb. You look at the disciples, verse 40. He says to the disciples, "Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith?" Whether he calms it or not, he wants to build our faith. He wants to calm our hearts. And sometimes he doesn't calm the swirling around us, but he calms the storm within us. And sometimes the storm within us is even greater than the storm around us. But sometimes he doesn't calm the storm of our lives. Think about Paul, for example. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 that he was shipwrecked on three different occasions. That's three different times that Jesus didn't calm the storm for Paul. And, that, and there was actually another one after that that happened in the book of acts after that was written so four times for paul who i'm sure prayed god would you stop this storm and that what that wasn't his experience god was faithful to him but he had to go through those storms the men and women of the bible aren't preaching at us from from lofty ivory towers having not experienced the pain and suffering of the world. The Bible talks about fear a lot, and that's because it's a big deal. It's part of our experience in the world, right? In the Bible, when it says that an angel came and said to the people, fear not, it's because they were afraid. They had that amygdala hijack moment where their body went into flight or flight because an angel of the Lord appeared before them. And the angel had to instruct them, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not a threat. So I think for those that are struggling with fear, there, there are many resources that we have. One is certainly the Psalms. The Psalms. And I love this Bible reading plan that we're doing right now to make sure to get in a Psalm in every day, no matter where we are in Scripture, because the Psalms are so healing and so instructive. Psalm 23, a familiar one, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right. That's an example of, even though I'm going through the storms, you haven't calmed the storm, but you will calm the storm within me. Psalm 56, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And in Psalm forty six, one through three, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Right, we will trust in God. So the question we have to ask ourselves is Is fear ruling my life? Is fear a driving force, a disproportionate influence in my life? Is it crippling my ability to enjoy true life? Is fear guiding my decisions in an unhelpful way? Because if it is, fear can, can keep you from becoming the person in Christ that you could be. Right? Fear will keep you from being a generous person. If you're controlled by fear, you're not going to be generous with your time, with your energy, with your talents, with your money. You're going to turn inward. Right? Fear will keep you from taking appropriate risks. Sometimes life calls us for risks, and certainly life in the kingdom of God calls us to take risks. And fear will keep you from doing that. Fear causes us to turn in toward ourselves rather than turning upward toward God and outward toward others. That's the problem with fear. So what is our solution here? Well, the irony in this particular story is that in verse 41, Jesus actually teaches the disciples to fear through this encounter. In verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. You see, the disciples' fear of the storm now becomes a healthy fear of the power and awesomeness of God. And they're beginning to see glimpses of the power and authority of Jesus. And they are rightly terrified. See, the weird truth here is that the solution to your fear is fear. Wait, did I just miss my notes? Nope. The solution to your fear is fear. But rather than fearing the storms, we were created to fear the Lord. It's a different kind of fear. One is a fear of a threat. One is a fear of something that we think, whether rightly or not, will take away from our lives. It's a fear of a threat. Right? We fear the storms of life because they're a threat to us, real or perceived. But the fear of God is not fearing a threat. The fear of God is to see God for who he really is, to see his awesome power, to stand in awe, to be amazed at the holiness and the power and the creativity and the wisdom and the love of God. That is what it means to fear God. To fear God is to obey his commands. It's to believe in him, to trust in him, to walk in his ways. We were created to fear the Lord, not the storm. So that energy of fear in our lives needs to be transformed to a different kind of fear, a holy fear of trusting that God is all-powerful, that he knows everything, that he sees everything, that he's in control of all things, and that he is ultimately good. To see him clearly is to fear the Lord. I love this quote here from Michael Reeves. He says in Rejoice and Tremble, I want you to rejoice in this strange paradox that the gospel both frees us from fear and gives us fear. Gives us fear. A healthy, appropriate fear of the Lord. What does it mean to trust in the Lord? It means to place the full weight of our lives in his hands and to trust in him. So my daughters and I, we have this little game that we play. And uh, they like to play on the bed, you know, various things, just kind of a novelty, play on mom and dad's bed. And uh, so we have these various things that we do that are fun. But one of the games, it doesn't really have a name. It's just like, we just call it, you know, the whoa thing, dad. And the way it works is that I grab one of them and I, I wrap them up in my arms and I lay right on the edge of the bed and I start doing this. I start tipping over the edge and I get right to that tipping point where there's no return and then I fling them back on the bed, right? And so we used to do this. They would take turns. Now they like to both do it at the same time. So I double arm them and we start to tip over. You know, my oldest one, she likes the inside position because that's the one with the most perceived, you know, threat. And so she likes to just get hanging all the way off the side of the bed and I throw them back on. Now, why is that experience fun and not scary? Because really it should be scary, right? You're, you're falling off something. That could be danger, threat. The reason why they know it's fun is because they trust me. They trust their dad. Of course, I'm a perfect dad, so one of these days I might tip a little too far. (laughs) But we can trust the Heavenly Father. We can place the full weight of ourselves and we can trust that even though we go through genuinely scary things and there are threats to to our lives and and there's a world and fear is real, And we go through the storms, we can trust that he will hold us and he will carry us. And he will not ultimately let us fall. This is what it is to trust in God. And when we trust in him, we believe, we pray that he can calm our circumstances. He can calm the storm. Pray for that. I don't know what storm you're going through. I don't know what storm you may go through in the future. But you can pray and you can ask. God, would you stop this storm? And he may do that. But you can also trust that he will help you to calm the churning and swirling storm that is within you. That he will build your faith. That he will build your trust. That in the midst of those things, you can say, God, I trust in you. You can be still and know that He is God. You can trust and surrender. You can fear Him rather than fearing your circumstances. And this right kind of fear then leads to peace. To peace. John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that only Jesus can give. A peace in the midst of the storms of life that we can trust. We can place the full weight of our lives in His care and trust in Him. That's what we were created for. And that will help us to flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You are good. And that we can trust in you and you have demonstrated yourself trustworthy across time and in our lives. And so I pray today, Father, for all of us, that when we are afraid, we will trust in you. That you will help us to do that. God, that you will empower us with your grace and with the presence of your Holy Spirit working in us. Help us, Father, to trust in you. Father, help us to trust you more. Help us to trust you more deeply. So that as we go through these difficult circumstances in life, we would not turn away from you. We would not turn inward to our own resources, but we would look up to you. God, help us to trust and help us to believe that you are sovereign over the circumstances of our lives and that you'll work all things together for your glory. And for our good.